Hi, this is Rahiman Sheikh. Welcome to Fortnightly Railway Transportation Systems Podcast. I am the host and railway systems specialist working in this industry for 24 years and counting. This podcast is primarily focused on railway experts who have vast amount of experience and contributed greatly to this amazing industry. This is not a technical seminar but focuses on feel good stories, individual journeys, their success and failures, motivating younger generation to kick start their career in railways and creating a sense of pride for the railway people. who devoted their lives on the most environment friendly public transportation our guest for this fortnight is pascal labous founder and principal at pl advisory pascal started his professional career in 1993 with alstom transport in cairo egypt pascal is an engineer with masters in aeronautics and management from reputed institutions Pascal has over 30 years of experience working in rail, security and aerospace industry throughout Australia and overseas such as France and Egypt. Pascal has been in leadership positions with Sydney Train and Transport for New South Wales in positions like Head of Operational Technology and Executive Director Operational Systems. Pascal is a leader and strategic thinker. He has demonstrated ability to set a vision, to shape and influence business outcomes. to articulate an implementation approach and to inspire his team and the entire organization he has successfully overseen the delivery of a range of high complexity projects which translated the vision into tangible customer driven benefits hi pascal welcome to railway transportation systems podcast hi raymond uh, thanks for having me pleasure to be here so As a kick off um, Pascal I'm going to ask you can you tell me your railway journey story Sure look my railway journey story is actually a part of my transport journey story I have worked in the ground transportation space for as as long as I have been working um I started indeed as you uh, reminded in your intro um working in the signaling space with with Alstom as a young graduate projects in Egypt uh I lived there and then I moved to project uh, in South Korea the what would be the high speed train there uh but then my journey ventured into other critical system from parking tolling equipment to uh automatic vehicle location systems for public transport to ticketing systems to even air traffic management systems before rejoining with with a uh, railway um looking after condition monitoring critical communications train protection and and so on so um that's been my career journey and, and I was fortunate to both work uh with very very expert railway professionals but also professionals in the overall mobility space what an amazing shining career so what made you turn entrepreneur ah uh, look raymond um i my career has been if you look at it from a really distance spent i worked probably 10 20 years uh as a supplier in the private sector uh in different roles different companies different subsectors i'd say and the constant were there was that my client was always government department and the machinery of government was very strange to me um i would 
you know, fight hard and work hard to deliver against my commitments as a supplier, but I wouldn't understand what uh, was happening inside the client's organization. So as soon as I had the opportunity and uh, took a moment to reorient my career. I really was curious and I joined public service to work on the client side. Uh, and I've done that with Sydney Trains and Transport for New South Wales for seven and a half years. I, I think uh, um, I have learned and done a lot in that space. And I came to a point where I wanted to figure out what my next challenge would be. And so my next challenge is actually to uh, learn and grow in the consulting space. Um, this is a totally new space to me, and that's one I am set to explore. Um, so that's really what got me started on creating, founding a strategic advisory firm, and go on and you know uh, ring around and, and find clients and, and do work in that space. That's what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah, I think that's an intelligent idea. <laughs> so my next one is, as you turn into entrepreneur, so if you had 10 times of your current budget, where would you invest and why? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Look, first of all, as an entrepreneur and as a consultant, it is amazing uh, how many people you you meet and you see all having fantastic ideas, all having the appetite to uh, push the boundaries of what exists in order to invent the future. So, you know, the community and the industry is not short of good people with good ideas trying to do things. To answer your question, there is a few spaces that I feel I'm particularly interested in and connected to. The first I'd mention is the electrification of transport in order to deliver against all of the, you know, net zero commitments to have a positive impact on, on climate uh, means that we suddenly see two large ecosystems coming together, the transport and mobility ecosystem and the energy and more specifically electricity generation distribution ecosystem. And as we're going to electrify cars, buses, you know, uh, not to mention about the next evolution or, or next revolution with hydrogen, but at the moment, as we are going to electrify everything, we will need to uh, have smart solutions that will optimize both the movement of people and goods and the consumption of the energy required to enable this movement. And that's suddenly where we bump into all of the cyclical renewables and et cetera, et cetera. So there is a a very interesting space there to figure out how we can make sense of all of this. It's incredibly com complex, but today's yeah. technology, you know, allowing to process more and more data in a more and more smart way, allow to uh, uh, do research and uh, offer a solution that will optimize not only one ecosystem, but two. Another thought I've got now, this time if I had 100 times or 1,000 times the budget I've got today, and, and looking a bit further into the future, is I think there is an incredible opportunity to revolutionize the railway industry by tapping into the autonomous vehicle technologies being developed at the moment, which we talk a lot when it comes to you know autonomous cars and et cetera on, on our roads. 
But if we reflect on what this can do for the railway term, it can massively simplify the whole way our trains or whatever you, you can call these future vehicles that will go up and down on our railway lines, how they are monitored, how they are kept safe, etc. I think we, we have a very interesting and different future ahead of us in our, in our space. Yeah, agree. It looks very inventive, very creative. Wow, I would love to see that. And with your 30 years in this industry, what do you think has actually changed? So I heard what you want to change, but actually did you observe anything changed in this 30 years in this industry? Look, yes and no. Um, indeed, in the last 30 years or 40 years or 50 years, the world has changed dramatically. The you know, what technology has changed our ways of lives is massive. And of course, some of it has flown through to the railway industry. But in the main, when you think about it, the way we built and operate trains today is very, very much like we did uh, 30 years ago. You, you might argue, or oh, now we have automated driverless metros all automated but actually the first one in operation was in the early 80s 40 years ago you know so that's existed for a while now arguably um, it's less of a technology challenge today than it was 40 years ago but in the main i think that uh, the fundamentals haven't changed that much when it comes to the railway industry uh, in the last year, it's just some efficiencies introduced, you know, to maintain, to operate. But again, the big uh, pillars and fundamentals of planning of the operations of the drivers, of the crew, of the maintainers are there. The way our railways are organized, structured is fairly similar to what it was. And so I'd rather come with the opinion that the railway industry is evolving slowlier than uh, the society at large. Yeah, because it's conventionally very complex, what I feel. And there's lots of processes for the change. That's correct. We need to keep people safe, which is the number one priority. And in implementing this, uh, we are very hesitant to reinvent the way we built and operate um, the railway. And we only evolve very gradually. I would ask one negative question. Being in leadership positions and engineering positions, you had a very great shining career. Everyone knew it. You, and you did really well. What do you think is your biggest failure? Did you ever face a failure? <laughs> I have faced many failures, Raymond, and um, failure is, is part of doing. I have faced failures when it comes to people. I uh, there is some times I I have hired the wrong people or I have interacted wrongly with people. I let people, um, I, when I reflected on it, I should have done it differently. I have had failures when it came to projects, you know, in, in our space of very complex mission critical systems. Things are not simple at all. And so uh, projects don't go to plan. Actually, when you think about it, they in general never go to plan. And our job is to still achieve the outcomes despite taking probably a very different path and journey than the one we envisaged at the start. And sometimes we get there 
And sometimes we don't get there. Sometimes I have known projects that didn't achieve their objectives uh, as initially set, whether in the private sector in terms of you know time and money, or even when I was a client, uh, achieving the, all of the outcomes we had defined at the start and falling short. So I'd say that, yes, I cannot count my failures, but guess I've always worked hard to do my best in the circumstances and, you know, uh, deliver the best outcomes for the organization I was a part of. And failures are a fact of life, are an opportunity to learn and are much greater opportunity to learn than successes that goes without saying so when while we're talking about projects i know you've been in multiple projects so can you tell me which is your favorite or challenging project so far yes you're right i have been involved in many projects and it would be difficult to pick a favorite because anytime a project has high stakes has a fantastic group of people involved and aims for the stars and ends up delivering an outcome, it has to be a favorite. So if you ask me which one is my favorite, it's like asking me which one of my children is my favorite. You know, it's, uh, I, I wouldn't be able to answer. But what, what of, you know, one that can resonate with you and, and with your listeners in the railway uh, space uh, is the digital train radio system project uh, that we deployed in Sydney Trains in New South Wales, which was a very difficult project, long-winded, and I have only come in to lead this project from a certain point in time. But that's been a remarkable story of us as a group of people uh, closely knit, being able to help turning things around, bringing everyone to collaborate in the best interest of the projects, and especially our supplier at the time, our operators, to gradually go from a mindset of this is too hard, this is too many problems, to gradually be able to have everyone pushing with resistance, with fears of you know systems failing or not supporting operations operations, but being very invested in getting it in full operations. And I could see how people would be passionate about turning this into a success, helping each other across the various lines and contractual divides, and finally uh, delivering a fantastic outcome for the railway. Yeah, great accomplishment. So moving forward, Pascal, can you tell me, how do you continue to grow and develop as a leader? I think that there is many prongs to to this. Uh, you know, um, I think every the world, uh, the science, theories, and, and the new practice constantly evolve around us. So we, we all want to uh, remain uh, contemporary by reading, listening to podcasts as yours, uh, Ryman, watching, listening, and hearing about some of our role models uh, and, and how they do it. That's from a, you know, I guess, a learning perspective I, but then i think as a person and as a leader the surest way to keep learning is to venture into uncomfortable spaces into putting our hand up 
to do something we haven't done before in taking a responsibility or a new accountability that gets us to meet new people, different people, gets us to be confronted with new types of challenges and problems. Because we learn most when we are placed in an environment that's new and that forces us to go outside of our, of our, our comfort zone, outside of our shell and confront our, what we think and how we behave and what we do to, to new, new hurdles new people and new problems. So one more uh, leadership question. How do you communicate bad news to your team? I'm fundamentally someone for for who honesty, fairness and authenticity are very important. And I think it's an important trait for any leader. And so I guess it is no different when I need to communicate bad news. I am very transparent about taking people in a, in a conversation and being open about what the situation is, why the situation is what it is, and what I need to do or I'm required to do or, or what, what the course of action needs to be from there on. And I spend the time sitting with the people, recipient of the bad news, to go through, uh, I guess, the context and the, the reasons behind that have led to such a bad news. I think it's really hard to communicate bad news. Yeah, it is. Uh, absolutely. But you know what? Leadership requires courage. And so um, it is important as a leader to have the courage in yourself to be true and genuine to others and to tell things as they are, encourage people, spend time with them. Because at the end of the day, people look up to their leader and a leader makes or breaks someone's day, uh, experience or career. Uh, and a leader always have, has a strong accountability towards others, towards the people that he leads, that they lead. I want to know one top secret from you. What do you, as a leader, what do you consider before offering promotion? <laughs> so in your question, I assume that you would think about someone who is already in the team and who would be promoted, not someone hired from outside. Well, I guess uh, number one is I would know that person from what they would have done uh, so far and how they would behave. So I guess... Um, when it comes to thinking and of someone and then offering a promotion, it will relies, of course, on demonstrated achievements, but nearly more importantly, on attitude and how a person in the organization exemplifies the values of the organization and demonstrates that they would be a good addition to, to a leadership position because a leader always has a massive influence on an organization. And so if I promote someone, in a leadership position, first and foremost, I want to be sure that this person will stand up for the organization, stand up for the values of the organization and be someone that uh, pulls us as an organization in the right direction uh, rather than dragging it down, if that makes sense. It does. So one more takeaway from you. What's your top strategy for success? That's a difficult question because that assumes uh, that, uh, you know, I've had a lot of success. Uh, you did. But 
I think the top strategy is that nothing replaces healthy, uh, committed, constructive relationships and that cultivating relationships is critical to any success, whether it's inside an organization, with your peers, with your team, of course, with people elsewhere in the organizations who might need you or who you might need, but taking the time to help out taking the time to know people and know their background and where they're at, where they're coming from, taking the time to, when you're a client, engaging with suppliers, despite you know all of the probity rules, which uh, in some instances will scare people off too much engagement. But uh, it is crucial when you're a client to know your suppliers, to know what they can do for you uh, when it will come to, um, uh, to engaging with industry and having the best possible delivery strategy. And when you're a supplier, Supplier, getting to know your potential partners, getting to know your clients and, and what they really need. So at the end of the day, business success relies on all of the relationships you have formed and continue to form with people. And spending the time, investing the time in relationships is always worth the while. Pascal, I got one more a different question. You being in the leadership team, how did you or how you plan strategies for future resource shortage? How do you mitigate that? How do you plan for it? Well, first of all, there would have been many different periods in my career and different types of resource and different, you know, the feast and famine and etc. Indeed, at the moment and since a few years, uh, we are really in, an, in a time of struggling to find the right resource. First, from a mechanical perspective, having the right processes in place in order to be able to anticipate and see short, mid, long-term workload plans, etc., is, is essential because that gives you a map to navigate and an understanding of where you're going and what you need. Now, having said that, this will not resolve the resource shortage itself. I think the, the best strategies are probably one of diversifying the resources, i.e. having a mix of employees, contractors, consultants, so as to have a bit of a panel of options when you need resources, be able to draw on the different types of resources to, at the end of the day, uh, form the teams that you need to in order to deliver an outcome. But secondly, you also need, as a leader, to form an attractive proposition for any resources to join your team. So it is essential to develop a culture that makes your team and the workplace you lead as attractive as possible, because once you achieve that, then uh, word of mouth will attract track the best people in the place and will, if not uh, eliminate, but at least diminish uh, the hurdles to, to access resource, even in a constrained environment. I think that's a smart strategy. Before I let you go, Pascal, my last question for today is, what's that one piece of advice you can share with our listeners? I think the one piece of advice is to be sure you always enjoying what you do and learning at what you're doing. Life is short. We only have one. And it's too short to waste our, our time, you know, doing things that we dislike or that don't bring any joy because we don't have the courage to change. There is a say that says you won't regret to try something new and fail, but you will regret uh, that you have failed to try. And, and for me, um, it is a quite important uh, piece of uh, advice that I try to apply to myself. 
I think we will take that advice. It's a really great advice or a marvelous advice, I would say. And thank you, Pascal. Thank you for your time today and sharing your thoughts and ideas with us. You're very welcome, Raymond. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure to uh, speak with you. I believe everyone listening to this podcast has got something to take away from today's discussion. If you like this podcast, please listen, follow and share this podcast within your network. If you believe we should be sharing your story or someone within your network, there is a railway leader who should be here sharing his or her contribution to this industry. Contact me on railway transportation systems at gmail.com thank you for your time today see you next fortnight until then stay safe and take care of yourself